Go ahead and hold your spot there. And while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a heads up regarding uh, our next message series starting next Sunday. It's a series titled Transitions, looking at about five, maybe six weeks we're going to cover. And uh, I really, really encourage you to think through and to invite somebody to come with you. Uh, amazing how it would be if all of us just invited one person, just the sheer, uh, the numbers of that, uh, you know, the percentage of people that would actually take you up on your offer perhaps and actually come. Uh, it's amazing to think of the impact that God could have. But the series called Transitions is really going to be aimed at uh, looking at Joshua 1 through 5. We're not going through the whole entire book of Joshua, but the first five chapters of the book of Joshua. We're not doing verse by verse. Uh, it's going to be hard to do that in just five or six weeks. Uh, but we're looking at those five chapters and pulling out some of the key points there and, and making application to the transitions in our own lives. Because all of us move through times of transition fairly consistently, whether it's transition from a job to another job or one place of life to another place of life, one stage of life to another stage of life, from, from good health to challenged health. You know, we, we all move through transitions in our lives. And sometimes it's those transitions that can make or break, right? Sometimes it's a transition that causes a person to move from walking with God to not walking with God, right? Or having peace to not having peace. And so we're going to be looking at transitions and what God's Word tells us in those five chapters uh, as to how to navigate the transitions of life that come and, uh, and how we can do that in a way that honors Him and really, really benefits us in the process as well. So I'm really excited about that particular series. Again, about five, maybe six weeks, so we're going to be looking at that series. So I really encourage you to invite folks that you know of specifically that are going through some transition in their life, whether it's a good one or a difficult one, and invite them to come and to be a part of that series, especially if they're obviously not plugged into another local body of believers to another local church. Well, this morning, I want us to go ahead and, and expand and kind of build on what we looked at last Sunday. I had no intent last Sunday of preaching a little two-message series. Uh, you know, I just kind of preached what I thought the Lord had put on my heart last Sunday, and uh, in the course of this week, I really felt like, you know, there's some stuff that wasn't, wasn't chased a little bit further, and, uh, and so I'm going to add to kind of a part two of last Sunday's message titled, In the Image of God, and uh, really, really, uh, really hope that, uh, that you're attentive and, and listening to what the Lord may want to have for you this morning. So last Sunday, we started with this simple message of what it means to be created in the image of God. And we started in Genesis 1. We're going to get there again in just a second. But we started in Genesis chapter 1, and we made a few applications right out of that passage of Scripture. Of course, Genesis 1 covers the creation, right? The creative act of God, the work of God at the point of creation. And part of, uh, you know, we ourselves are part of that creation. And so one of the things we looked at was that every single one of us are image bearers of God. And it doesn't matter what our nationality may be, it doesn't matter what our race may be, the color of our skin, our lifestyle, our choices, whether we're walking with God or whether we're shaking our fist at God, every one of us has been created in the image of God. And we all bear the image of God. Now we unpacked that a little bit last Sunday, and what it means to bear the image of God, it means you know, more, than we can, more than we can cover just in 30 minutes this morning, but basically what it means is that we bear many of the characteristics that God bears, right? It doesn't mean that we are God. It doesn't mean that we're little deities. It doesn't mean that at all. But it means this, that, that God is a God of reason, for example, and he has created you with the opportunity and with the capacity to reason. In fact, God even invites us to reason with him in the book of Isaiah. God is a God of reason. He gives us the capacity to reason. That is a reflection of God's image. God is a God who applies logic. When you look at our creation, when you look at the laws that cannot be changed, right, that apply to his creation and to this world in which we live, that is a reflection 
of the fact that God is a God who is very logical. God is a God of order. And in the same way, He has created us with the capacity to apply logic to our lives. He's created us with the capacity to live lives that are very orderly. It's a reflection of His image. God is a God who is the very personification of righteousness. And in the same way, He's given us a moral aspect of our lives that we can't deny. Now, we may try to, try to numb that, and we may try to push that to the side and, and even try to silence it in our lives, but God has created us with a sense of morality, with a sense of, con with a conscience, and that's a reflection of his image. God is a relational God, right? right? We don't worship a God who is an impersonal force. We, impersonal, well, we, we worship a God who is very personal and who desires relationship with us. The reason you are relational, even though you may be an introvert, you're still relational. The reason for that is because you are created in the image of God. And so in many, many ways, we are reflective of God. We are created in His image. We are image bearers of God. He, he has given us the capacity to know Him, to walk with Him, and obviously to, uh, to embrace the fact that we are created in His image. So we looked at some of the implications last Sunday of that. That if everyone is created in the image of God, then that means everyone is worthy of respect and everyone is worthy of kindness. It doesn't matter what they may believe. It doesn't matter, again, the color of their skin. Every single person is worthy of, of kindness and worthy of respect. At the same time, every single person is worthy of the gospel, right? Every person deserves to hear the message of the gospel. Never can we say, you know what, our church is only available for these segments of people. Everyone else has to stay away. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Everyone is worthy of hearing the message of the gospel. That's why every church should be engaged in missions locally and internationally as well, because God calls us to take the message of the gospel to everyone who have been created in the image of God. We also looked last Sunday at how the gospel actually demands that. There is no wiggle room. I mean, the gospel demands that we treat others as though they are the very image bearers of God himself one of the implications as well of that is that we are also called to not just to embrace that truth, but to live our lives based on it, ultimately to the glory of the one who made us. And that's what I want us to chase down a little bit this morning. What does it mean to live our lives to the glory of God? And, and, and here's, the, here's the burning question would there be then a correlation that if we are created in the image of God, would there be a connection between how he has created us and the purpose that he has for our lives? Or would those two be disconnected? Is there a connection between who you are and what God has called you to do on the face of this earth? Is there a connection between those two? Is there a connection between you being created in his image and what he desires from your life during your time on this earth? Is there a connection there? Are those two completely separate? Now, there are many, many believers, right, who are totally blind to the fact that God, his purpose for us is connected to who he has created us to be. You know, they almost see like you know, their identity is one thing, and then the way they live their lives is a whole different category. I believe the two are, are, are intricately connected, and that's what I want us to see this morning as we continue to look at the second part of this, this message uh, in the image of God. I want us to see the connection between who he has made us and the call that he has placed on our lives. And I'll just go ahead and say that this is one of the absolute most important truths for you to be able to connect the dots on. Because if you don't, 
If we don't connect these dots, uh, we're, we're going to end up with a boatload of regret in our lives. And so let's go ahead and take a look again at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27, and look to answer this question regarding the connection between how God has created us as image bearers of himself and the call and the purpose ultimately of our lives. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27, you go ahead and read along with me. Moses obviously wrote the book of Genesis, and yet it was the Holy Spirit, God, who inspired it so we can trust every word of it. Notice how God explains how he made us. God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, it's interesting in our culture today, how our culture tries to redefine God's creative activity, right? Our culture in many ways uh, is trying to redefine everything from marriage to uh, personhood, you know, with euthanasia and all the different decisions that go along with that, to uh, even male and female. And yet God at the very beginning, I believe God put this here in the very first chapter of this big book called the Bible for a reason. He delineates how he created us. He created us distinctly male and distinctly female, and yet regardless, he created us in his image, Again, every single one of us bear the image of God. You bear the fingerprints, the thumbprint of God that he has created you ultimately in his image specifically. And, and, and we can summarize it by saying this. There's two points today in this message, and this is the first one, and I hope you'll jot it down. The point is this, that your life's purpose, the overarching purpose of your entire life is going to be influenced by who you are. And the purpose of your life is influenced ultimately by who you are. And if this statement is true... That your purpose, right? Some of you may have been wondering for years, even as Christians, what is the purpose of my life? What is the purpose of my life? That purpose is influenced by who you are. So who are you? <laughs> According to Scripture, who exactly are you? Here's what God says. Number one, God says that, that you are one who has been created by him specifically. And in his creation of you, he has created you to bring him glory. He knows exactly who you are and exactly what he wants to do through your life. Psalm chapter 139, the, the psalmist says that even as we were being formed and put together in our mother's womb, that was God's hand at work. That you were fearfully, you were wonderfully made. That you were made with such precision and such detail. That, that, that you were one as an image bearer of God who has been created by the hand of God himself. Right? He didn't just have a say, he formed you. He created you specifically. It's interesting because Paul would understand later on in the New Testament, Paul would understand the concept that not just his creative design, but even the purpose of his life was one that God had a hand in, that God would speak into the purpose of his life. Look at what Jeremiah would say. Jeremiah would understand this hundreds of years before Jesus would ever come. Look at what it says in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, God's words to Jeremiah. He says, before I even formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you, right? I knew who you would be. It doesn't mean Jeremiah was eternal, right? We're all born into existence. But he says, I knew who you were going to be. I knew who, what I wanted to do through you. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And before you were even born, right? We can even say before your parents even thought about you, I had already consecrated you, Jeremiah. I'd already set you apart. And your specific purpose would be as a prophet to the nations. Now, what we're going to see later is that Jeremiah's purpose would fall under the umbrella of the same purpose God has for every one of us. 
But he's going to say your purpose of your life is, is indelibly, intricately linked to who you are. You are a creation of the God of this universe. Who am I? I am a creation of the God of this universe, but I'm also a reflection of that creator. Again, we bear his image. You bear his image. Not only are you put together by the creator, but you have been placed in this world as a reflection of your creator. You bear the marks of your creator. And even if we go a little bit further, uh, when we have a relationship with Jesus, meaning we've turned from our sin and we've invited Jesus to come in and to forgive us and to take over to be our Savior and our Lord, when we do that, the Bible says that even goes further, that we are then a new creation. We still bear the image of God, whether we accept Christ or not, but when we come to Jesus, we bear his image in a brand new way. We are a new creature in Christ, the Bible says. So what is the purpose of that life specifically? Would our purpose be somehow linked to who we are as an image bearer of God? I think absolutely, yes, it would be. Think about form and function for a moment right? Form is linked to function. Function is linked to form. If I had a spoon up here, I should have brought it because some of you just thrive on mental images, right? So if I had a spoon here and just big old a ladle, you know, let's just say uh, that that form is going to be tied to its function. That form is going to, in a lot of ways, in many ways, is going to be influenced by its function. The reason that that long ladle is going to have a, you know, a curved end on one end and a long straight handle on the other is because it's designed for the purpose of transferring soup or some liquid right from one place to another. <laughs> it's, it's formed, it's built with its purpose in mind. There's a reason that a car has four tires and they're all round, right? It's not just because they sell better than the square tires. The form and the function are linked, right? That car has to transport you and your stuff and your people, right? It's got to transfer you from your house to work and from your city to another city at times. And and the form and the function are both linked, right? There's a reason that they're like that. You may have a basket in your house or a bucket, and there's a reason there's a a kind of depth to it, height and, and width. It's because it's designed to collect things. And there's a reason there's a handle on it because the form and the function both match to enable that bucket or that basket to move things from one place to the next. The form and and the function are are, are indelibly linked. There's a reason that those two match up. And so when we think about our lives and we think about our creator who created us in the image of his son, there has to be a purpose for that. Why would God choose to create us differently than the animals, differently than the rest of his creation? Why would he place in us alone, you included, why would he place in you that, that fingerprint, that thumbprint, that mark, that image? of God. Why would he put that in us? Because it's connected to our purpose in this world. And so knowing who you are, the next question is, what then is my purpose? I think it all boils down to two. And I really hope, unless you've got a great memory, I really hope you write these down. And here's why. Because when we begin to pursue a purpose that is outside of God's purpose for our lives, People do it every day, including many probably right here in this room. When we begin to pursue a purpose 
that doesn't match who we are as God's creation and that doesn't match who we are as followers of Jesus, when we begin to pursue a purpose that is divorced from all of that, that's separated, cut off from all of that, our lives ultimately end in a grease fire. Man, just like one big train wreck. And what happens is when we think that our purpose is somehow linked to our career or to our wealth or building a big name or having a great family or, or, or accomplishing some accomplishment or, or achieving some achievement, when we think that's our purpose and that's what we pursue, even once we arrive there, it does nothing to, to ease the hurt that comes when we realize that should not have ever been my purpose because it's not his purpose for me. So what is God's purpose for us? What is his function for our lives that matches up the fact that we are created male and female in his image? I think there are two overarching purposes, and the one is to represent his interests in this fallen world, and number two is ultimately to extend his kingdom. Those are his purposes. After the first service was over, I was over at our fellowship time. A guy from our service, he's here just about every week, came up to me. He said, you know, basically he said, you know, for so long as a Christian, I didn't know what my purpose was. He said, now I feel like, now I, feel like I do. <laughs> what is the overarching purpose of the life of the follower of Jesus? It is to represent his interests in this fallen world, and it is to extend his kingdom. To represent his interests. Why? Because this world is without Christ, and this world is fallen. And to extend his kingdom. Why? Because he is king. Those are the two overarching purposes of our lives. Here's what it means when we ultimately represent his interests in this world. Think about an ambassador for a moment, right? What does an ambassador do? If there's an ambassador, say, of one country to another country or one country to a council, you know, UN or whatever it may be, what does the ambassador do? That ambassador uh, represents the interests of their country. Let's just use our own country as an example. Say we have an ambassador for our, from our country. That person represents the interests of the United States of America. Even when they're not in the U.S., more often than not, they won't be. They're going to be in another kingdom, in another country, in another world, so to speak. When they are outside of this country, they are representing the interests of this nation in which they live. They, they are an ambassador. And in much the same way, God says, I have created you and I put you in the midst of a fallen world. You know that fallen world, right? You work in it and you live in it and your kids go to school in it. We live in a fallen world. And God says, in the midst of that fallen world, I have put a group of ambassadors believers that follow Jesus that are identified with me that have been created in the image of me God says and those people are ultimately placed in this fallen world as ambassadors to represent my interests in this world chapter 1 verse 26 in Genesis again let's bring that up again how would Adam do this God would say, let, let them, not him, it wasn't just Adam, it's, it's each of us as well, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds, over the cattle, over the creeping things, right? The way that would be demonstrated one way would be that Adam and each of us as mankind created in God's image have a, have a call to, to rule over God's creation. We have a responsibility to rule over God's creation. Why? Because we represent his interests. And he's interested in his creation. In the Old Testament, this would get blown out a little bit further. In the Old Testament, Israel would be called to be a light to the nations. They didn't always do that real well. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. They were to be called out separate from the world. Why? Because they were called to to represent the interests of their creator. And then Jesus would come along in the New Testament. He would blow it out even further in a way that applies to every single one of us. 
And look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5. When he's speaking of representing our creator, representing our God. Matthew chapter 5, let's bring that passage up. Verse 13 uh, 13 through verse 16. Jesus is speaking and he says, let's let's go back to verse 13. Let's see, verse 13. One slide below. There we go. Got it. Verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. He says, secondly, not just you are the salt of the earth, but you are also the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, right? That would seem to make sense, but on the lampstand. Next slide. One, two, three, thank you. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men. Listen, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify you for the wonderful creation that you are. No, it doesn't say that at all. So that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus would say this. Why? You are the salt of the earth. You are to live a life in such a way that creates thirst in this fallen world. So that when people see you and know you and rub shoulders with you, they want the same God that you serve. You are the light of this world living in a fallen, darkened world. You are the one who is here as my representation so that when people walk in darkness, you have the opportunity as my image bearer and as my child through a relationship with Jesus to bring light into their life, to introduce them to light. They have to decide whether they'll embrace that or the darkness, but you can introduce that to them. Why? Because you are my representation. You are my ambassador reflecting the interests of another world and another king and another kingdom. Oh, God, but what's the purpose of my life? That's your purpose. That's your purpose, to represent my interests in this world. Sometimes it means planting your feet boldly. People aren't going to like it. And other times it's going to mean sacrificing much of what you have and your comfort to come along someone who needs to see God. And it's going to cost you. One of the overarching purposes the function that fits the form we're creating in the image of God. Why? So that we can represent his interests in this fallen world. But there is a second overarching function, not just to represent his interests in this fallen world, but to extend his kingdom. Why? Because he's king. Imagine for a moment you have a high schooler who is looking at colleges. You go off to an event where all these colleges are there, and there at that event, there's a table. Let's just, let's just use the University of Georgia for an example because it's the best one of all. So, um, <laughs> let's just have the invitation. There's more, more like speaking up during the message there at that point than any other thing I've said out of the Bible for some strange reason. But anyway... So you're at this event, right, and there are tables there, and let's just say there's one from the University of Georgia, and you come up with your high school senior, and there are three people behind the table. There are two, two students from that school, and there's a faculty member. Not only are they there to represent the interests of that institution, but they are also ambassadors in the sense that they are there to extend that school, that kingdom. Okay? They're going to tell you if they do their job well. They're going to tell you the blessings and the benefits that come 
from being a part of that kingdom. You'll get this uh, specific education. You're going to be equipped to go into this particular job field. You're going to rub shoulders with these particular people. These are the blessings and the benefits of being a part of this kingdom, they'll tell you as ambassadors. They're also, if they do their job well, going to share with you what it's going to cost you and what is expected once you're a part of that kingdom. It's going to cost you X amount of money. And when you come, it's going to be expected that you do this and that you do this and that you do this. They're going to give you the full picture, right? They're not going to want to hold anything back because they're not only going to want to represent the interests of their kingdom, but they're also going to want to extend the kingdom so that everyone who says, I love to hear this, this rings true to my heart and my mind. I want to come in and be a part of this. Where do I sign on the line? Everyone who shows up understands what they're getting into and what the call is that goes with it. The ones who go and party themselves out of college the first semester are the ones who didn't understand the call, right? And it wasn't because it wasn't explained, they just didn't get it. It didn't click. They missed it. And in much the same way, God has put his people, you and me, who bear his image in this world, who are also followers of Jesus. He has put us here in this world, not just to represent his interests in this fallen world in which we navigate every day, but he's also put us here in this fallen world as his ambassadors to as well extend his kingdom, to live in a way that is attractional, that draws people to desire to have a relationship with the king that we follow, that, that lives in a way to where we boldly share with people how they can move from a life of sin and to have a brand new start and a brand new clean slate and to have forgiveness in the eyes of the creator who made them, that we live in such a way that extends his kingdom. And when we look at the purpose of our lives, what is the overarching purpose? It is not to pursue a career solely. It is not to climb a corporate ladder solely. It is not to get a great education solely. It is not to get married and to have kids or to influence other people according to things that we think are important. Our overarching purpose is linked to the fact that God has created us in his image. We bear the fingerprints of God and he's put us in this world ultimately to represent his interests and to stand on his truth and to love him and to enjoy him and to walk with him and to live a life that is attractional and to at the same time live in such a way to where through our life and through our words we extend the kingdom for which his own son died. That's our purpose. And it doesn't stop with you. That's why Deuteronomy says to bring your little ones around and put them on your knee and tell them about their creator who built them in his image and has called them to fulfill his purpose in this fallen world. And it's why in Acts chapter 2 God said now is the time to give birth to this brand new entity called the church. And though it has had its weaknesses and its stumbles, stumbles, and though there have been instances where the church wishes they could hit the reset button and do some things over, he says, this is my salt and this is my light. And he plants them in communities just like this. This one included on this corner strategically for a reason 60 years ago to represent his interest in this community and in this city and to extend his kingdom to people who play ball at the Y and to people who work out in the health clubs and to people who eat in the restaurants and go to the schools, who are neighbors on streets where you live and in the condos and the apartments where you, where you make residence. He's put us here to represent his interests and to extend his kingdom. And it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. 
had a couple that joined this morning in our first service. And you, you kind of know the drill, I guess. Come forward during the invitation. They've already met usually with Jason and talked about their relationship with Christ. And then I get to introduce them, and it's always just so neat. This Sunday was a little different this morning, first service, because this couple, I know them, I know them pretty well, and they joined. And they came forward, and I stepped out, and I said, so I guess in light, while everyone's singing, I said, I guess in light of the message, you know what you're getting into, right? And they smiled and said, yeah. You know, there's a little part of me, I'd probably kill the church if I did this. (laughs) But there's a part of me sometimes that wishes we could take membership roles and wad them up and kick them to the curb. Not because they're not important. The early church in the first century knew who were amongst the believers. They knew those lists were important. There's evidence there were lists. But there are times that I almost wish we could just take those wad them up and kick them to the curb and say, you know what, let's just start over. And if the desire is to come and just fill a seat, then we'd love for you to come and be our guest. But if you want to be a part of a movement that represents the interests of your creator and extends the kingdom of your king, then we've got room for you. So who's on board? And I wonder, if we did that, how many would we have, really? How many would there be? Because it would separate the ones for whom church is an institution and a place to go from those who say, this is my family. These are my people. And I'd give my life for them, and they for me, if needed. Would we have 10, 12, 20, 50, 100, 200, 500? I don't know. But I think it's what God's aiming for. That we, his people, bought at such a high price, would ultimately live our lives, oftentimes in stumbling fashion, right? Because we've not arrived. That we'd live our lives in a way that represents his interests, even above our own, and extends his kingdom. As we intersect our lives with a cold, dark world, with a message that's changed everything for us. You know, the second principle, and I'm done, I think wraps it all up and ties it all together, that we experience fullness, real fullness in our lives, only when we're in right relationship with God. Climbing that ladder, getting that degree, finding that spouse, having those kids, Accomplishing whatever is on your mind is not going to give you the fullness that you need because you were created for more. Those things are called blessings. They're not called purpose. And we only know a fulfilled life when we answer the call, fulfill the purpose for which we were made to represent the interests and to extend the kingdom of the one who made us through our own relationship with Jesus. You know what's really interesting about this? is that from the very beginning, it was missed. You know, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were created in the very first chapter of the Bible, they had everything, didn't they? Three chapters into the big story, the enemy came with a temptation 
and a piece of fruit. The devil himself came with plan B, and he said to Adam and he said to Eve, you know what, if you just eat this fruit, I know, I know God, your creator, told you not to, but if you just take a bite, he made a promise. And his promises are never the full story. Look at what he said here because it's incredibly ironic. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Look at what the enemy said. He says, for God knows, he says to Adam and Eve, that in the day that you eat from it, this piece of fruit that is forbidden from God, the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Did you catch that? It's not the whole story, is it? You know why? Adam and Eve were already like God. He was telling them something they should have already known because they were the image bearers, created in the image and in the likeness of their God. You know, behind every temptation, behind every fall, is a search for something that God has already given us. That you bear the image of the God who made you, and yet through your own relationship with Jesus, which is a necessity, you find new life to such a degree that God says you lack nothing. So it's time for us to live up to our call, isn't it? to extend his kingdom and to represent his interests and all along the way to enjoy a God who would treat us like that. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Probably two layers of decisions being made today, I hope. One, from those who've never given their lives to Jesus. You know what? It's not enough to be a simple creation of God. But the Bible says you need to be a family, part of the family of God, to be in relationship with Him. It's one thing to be a created part of God's world. It's an entirely different thing to be a child of God. And that only comes when we turn from our sin and surrender our lives to Jesus, trusting in what He did on the cross, that His payment there was enough to forgive us of our sin. And this morning for you, perhaps the decision that you need to start with is right where you sit to pray and invite Jesus, God himself, to come and forgive you and to take over. But there's a second layer of decision perhaps this morning, and that's for those that have already made that choice. But somewhere along the way, you're looking for your identity to be placed in something else, in your work or what you do or who you know or some other aspect of life. And you've missed the simple truth that your identity is only determined by who you are as an image bearer of God, but also as one who has a relationship with him through Jesus. And maybe for you, you've missed your purpose all this while, that you don't really look to represent his interests in this world, and you don't really do much to extend his kingdom. But today, like the one I talked to earlier, maybe there's been a light bulb go off, and you've realized, you know what? From this day on, I want to fulfill my purpose and that may be in the context of my career. It may be in the context of my marriage. It may be in the context of something that I pursue. But my purpose is to represent his interests wherever he puts me and to extend his kingdom through the life and the words that I speak. And so God, help us this morning with whatever decisions we need to make to align our lives with your desires. Help us to do them. Lord, the cost of us pursuing our own dream and our own desire
is far higher than if we just surrender to yours. And so, God, may we leave this place knowing we are in right relationship with you. And for those that have never trusted Christ, may today be the day where they sit this morning, where they invite Jesus to come and be everything to them, forgiving and taking over. Bless these decisions we make. They truly could mark the course of our entire lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.